I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Check it out. Finn is one of the great, great companies supporting the Rebel Radio Show. Finn is your on-demand virtual assistant as you need it, the way you like it. Uh, you don't have to pay for a full-time assistant. They can do all of the tasks that you need to get done but don't need to do yourself. Leaves you more time to be creative, to live your life, build your business, whatever you want to do. It's up to you because Finn will take care of the rest. I use them for scheduling meetings. I have them, uh, actually they help me with this show. We do, I have them help me look up research on my guests as I'm preparing my brilliant questions for the show. Um, you can sync your calendar with them. You can have them make calls for you, book appointments, uh, pay bills. Really, basically anything you need done, Finn will do it for you. Travel arrangements, whatever you need. Just for listening to this show, I'm going to hook you up. Go to finn.com slash rebel. You get a free trial of Finn. That's finn.com slash rebel to try out Finn for free. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Leave us a comment or tell us, give us some ideas for how, how we can use virtual assistant in our lives. Uh, finn.com slash rebel. I'm Dennis Morris. I'm at uh, Rebel Radio with um, Eddie Donaldson from Doula One and Josh Levine. Here we are having fun. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. Today is another episode of our Artwork Rebels series. In partnership with Gorilla One, you'll hear my man Eddie Donaldson co-hosting with me. We got a great show today. The acclaimed photographer Dennis Morris, he's a photographer, art director, uh, musician, designer. This man's done it all. I want this guy's life. He started out 14 years old, taking pictures of Bob Marley, became his photographer, became the photographer for the Sex Pistols, became uh, just uh, fascinating stories. He's going to get into with us uh, on Rebel Radio today, right after our EDM.com track of the week. 
nothing left to do this shit but level up on niggas, man. Yo, I got it. It said about the big coat classic I'm dropping bodies, leaving closed caskets AI with the practice, got the flows mastered I am not a slave, I got no master I don't owe answers to no one, I do whatever I feel It's a lot of niggas that rap that ain't matching the skill Can't believe niggas still so obsessed with a deal How can I chill when they still letting in the fakes? Allow me to set the record straight I'm about to give them real until it resonates Then flood the fucking city till the levees break I'm about to get it booming now in every state Nighties, baby, but the flow came out 88. I told mama never worry, I'ma make a way. I ain't never took a break, been working day to day. That was Jay Mays with Everything Lit, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com, check out new music. And uh, right now, let's get into it with Dennis Morris. I started getting looks and that's when everything switched. Watch your friends turn to foes, that's how everything flipped. Oh, it's lit. Everything lit, everything lit. Well, thanks for doing this. We'll let Eddie jump in when he gets in. Yeah, and uh, I've always liked to hear uh, Eddie's. I think he's he's been on with me like six times. All right. This yeah. will be so. There's always a good story about how everybody knows Eddie. So yeah. we'll, we'll wait for him to get into that. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited to to talk to you and kind of hear your story. I've been, um, you know, I've been looking at your your photography online. Right. Yeah. And it's an amazing body of work. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know. Bob Marley, I think, is one of the most important mm. artists of all time. Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, he's the, he's the man. He's um, a very, very special person. I mean, you know, for me, um, the unique thing about Bob was that he was more than a musician. Sure. You know, he was a messenger. Yeah. You know, he really had a, a purpose, but the message was, was to be delivered through his music. Yeah, in sense. And, absolutely. Uh, so I want to talk about that, but let, let's talk about you first and, and how you got started um so even before the photography hmm. what was do you remember the first record you ever bought first record i ever bought i think would have been um eddie grant's and the equals hmm. black skin blue eyed boys seen it on um, there's a program in England called Top of the Pops mm-hmm. and I remember being at home and sitting on the TV religiously on a Thursday every kid watched Top of the Pops sure and um, I'm sitting there and uh, they announced and at number one is Eddie Grant and the Eagles black skin blue eyed boys and he walked on stage and there was this black guy with a blonde afro and I thought <laughs> wow who the f- is this you yeah. know what I mean like I just couldn't believe it yeah, and then he went into it, and I thought, wow, I, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I rushed out and got the record. You know, I mean, that man was like, uh, was way ahead of his time. Sure. He really, was, really was. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, you know, broke all kinds of, um, you know, records in in that, in that way. Yeah. Very influential. He's interesting because <laughs> you know, in the states, really, we only know of him from Electric Avenue. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, he had a he had a Quite a thing going. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, 
went through quite a trip really because like years later um, I'm on my way as a photographer so I used to be pounding the, the, the roads in uh, around Soho in London with my portfolio trying to get work yeah and I used to see him I said well, was my hero Eddie Grant from when I was a kid you know and he used to see me like and I know he was thinking like that black kid looks like he's up to something you know what I mean and uh and eventually we, we spoke and um, and he told me basically he, he had like I don't know, four or five number one records of, yeah. and got totally ripped off yeah. and um, and he spent those years when I used to see him fighting to get back his um, you know the, the rights to, to, to the music and also the, um, the, the publishing sure. eventually won and what he did was when he you know got it all back um, he then set up um, he bought a house in the east end of london um huge house in the basement he had a recording studio and he bought a pressing plant he had his own publishing company yeah and then he came out with um dun 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 and he owned it all nice you know because he learned he learned his lesson so Amazing. he bought bought the pressing plant pressed his own record had a van distribution of record i mean you know yeah yeah yeah, and if you could do that and, and have one hit, you're set. Yeah, and he, you man, he quite. I remember him telling me once that basically he wouldn't. It was so big, he was doing something, uh, doing a tour in Romania, and they couldn't pay him. So I think Romania, they were like that gherkins. Mm -hmm. So he, they, he got paid in gherkins, and then set up a thing to sell the gherkins in, the, in Europe. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Very, very, very smart guy. Yeah. Very, very, very clever man. Amazing. Very, very clever man. Now he lives in, um, where is it? Um, I think it's uh, not Barbados, one of the, uh, in the Caribbean island. Yeah. Got a studio there where the likes of Sting and everybody goes in. Uh, you know, to, That's to cool. Record, yeah. So tell me how you got started taking pictures. Yeah, so um, I was a choir boy in a church in the East End of London and um, the church had a benefactor, a man by the name of Donald Patterson, and he was an inventor and manufacturer of photographic equipment. He invented the self-loading spiral, mm. which was a breakthrough in, in, in um, photography, yeah. and um, made a fortune out of it. And he wanted to get put something back into the society, so he got involved with his church in East End. And uh, one of the things he did, he created a photographic club for the choir boys. And when I was nine, I walked into the dark room. One of the older boys was in there. And they had this thing which says, I, I didn't know it, what it was at the time, but an enlarger. And I was standing behind him and I saw him pick up a piece of paper, put it on the, the enlarger, switched on the light. Image came down in the paper, counted for a few seconds, took the paper, put it into this dish, rocked it. And I looked over and this image came from that. Was, well, magic, <laughs> magic. I want, this yeah. is me, this is me, you know, and then put it into the fixer and then switch on the light and I just thought, yeah. I knew instantly from then mm. that was my life. Yeah. And that man, Mr. Patterson, saw my enthusiasm and um, I suppose potential and took me under his wings and uh, gave me cameras to, uh, to use. I was using like Leicas and Roliflex from the age of like 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, they used to take me to like uh, museums and galleries and stuff. And I was just obsessed with photography, you know, like when all my friends were out playing football, whatever, I, I just, I always had a camera, always taking pictures, you know, if it moved, click, that was it for me, you know, and that's how I started, you know, and uh, I know a great deal to that man, really, had it not sure. been for him, I wouldn't be here. I mean, it's amazing when you know, thank you, it's amazing when you know from the beginning that that's, mm. that's what's calling you. But when you see it, 
and you get involved with it, you know, you have a football in front of you, you kick it and it, you know, it goes where you want it to go. You think, well, yeah, you know what I mean? Or you go like that and it goes where you want to go. You think, wow, this is it, you know, that's how it starts. That's amazing. Yeah. So wait, how, how'd you guys meet it? Eddie, welcome back. Thank you. We're excited to have you. I think this might be our sixth show together. Possible. Something like that. Yeah. Many you more always, to come. You always bring the best people. Right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, how, how do you guys know each other? Eddie and I met through a uh, known gallery. We met through Casey. Through okay. Casey, Eclipse, yeah. Eclipse, Seven yeah, Clutter. Yeah. Nice. And, um, and like everything in my life, you know, we just clicked mm-hmm. and um, been putting things together since, you know. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge fan of his work. Yeah. The talent is like, you know, outrageous. Yeah. And I like to surround myself with successful, talented people. So I kind of was like, hey, can I be your friend? He's like, sure, why not? You're the best at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now we got a couple things cooking. The Barker Hanger Show with Jim Evans. Yeah. I introduced them, and they are working on the show, which you're going to moderate a panel. Yeah, uh, moderate the discussion. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like one step forward, four steps forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, so digging into your story, what I read is, is you met Bob Marley when you were 14. Yeah. Um, again, like, you know, I was this kid who basically... This is black kid who never really fit into being a black kid, and never fit into being a in a white circle, never fit in anywhere basically. You know, I was just out there on my own. My, and so I read, I was into music, and I read that Bob was coming over to do his like his first major tour of England, and he'd signed a deal with Island Records, and basically they were wanted to break him into the rock market because Bob was really known within the sort of West Indian circle. Yeah, wasn't really known outside of that so much. Sure. And so I decided that I wanted to meet him. So I didn't go to school that day. I went down to this club called the Speakeasy Club and uh, waited and waited. Eventually, he and the rest of the whalers were going, turning up to do their sound check. And I walked up and said, can I take your picture? He said, yeah, man, come in. So I walked in with him and um, you know, they're setting up doing their sound check and I'm kind of clicking away like I'm knowing what I'm doing and stuff. And I think he kind of just kind of thought, this kid, he's, he's got something going for him, you know? Yeah. And um, so during breaks, we'd ask him what it was like to be a young black kid in England. And I was asking him what Jamaica was like, because I left very young and very little memory of him. Mm. And he was telling me all these stories and stuff, you know. And, uh, and then he told me about the tour and said to me if I want to come along. And I said, yeah. So the next morning I woke up, packed my bag like I'm doing sports. At 14? Yeah, went to the hotel. In those days there was no tour bus. It was like a, a van with some seats, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, going in a van, and there's this very famous picture, iconic shot of him where I'm sitting like one row behind him, and he turned around and said, you ready, Dennis? I said, yeah, man. <laughs> he took that shot. And the adventure began. Yeah. And what was weird about it, though, it was a winter, and they never really came prepared for the winter, and they hated it. They, one, there was no Ito food, which is like equivalent of vegan. Mm-hmm. And so they, that never existed. They couldn't stand the cold, and then basically, when they the gigs at Island had put them in like places like capacity 2000 but no one really heard of them you know in those areas like outside of London it's like 200 people turn up so they'd be like what are we doing and Peter and Bonnie like we'll have to play this gig for mine watch the people and Bob said no no we have to deliver the message we have to deliver the message and so he'd always walk out like it was sold out and then one morning about the fourth day into the, sh- uh, the tour they woke up and it was coming down with snow heavy and they wanted to play football and they opened it and I said, look, I want that. So I said, snow, 
We mean snow. And Peter Man said, Yeah, man, this is a sign from Ja. We have to leave Babylon right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and they were like, I said, no, it, It's snow. Snow, you talk about snow, man. Babylon, this. And they went back. Wow. Yeah. That, that was it. That was it, you know. And Peter and Bunny, they refused to tour and about two two three years later bob came back without peter and bunny and the notes at that point it was the i2 rita and uh, marcia mm -hmm. and uh, played the infamous lyceum gig come on and steer it up I'd left school trying to get work as a photographer. So I got in touch with Ireland and I said to him, um, you know, like, yeah, 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 you know, Bob remembers you. So I got my photo pass. So I'm down here in the, what they call the, the, the photo pit with all the top rock photographers, you know. But I had one thing over them. I knew how he performed. So I had kind of positioned myself, mm -hmm. you know, because every performer singer has a way of one side of the mic. So I got myself at the right side of the mic and he played the gig of gig because he knew that was his time he yeah. knew and he came back with Avengers and man the Lyceum I don't know I think maybe 5,000 people but there were people climbing on the roof trying to get in there was mm -hmm. one time when it was so packed and so hot in there the sweat went up hit the roof came down like it was rain and they'd rush and say <laughs> I mean there was magic going on in there and he stepped out there and boom and boom, boom, wow I'm back. Yeah, Took that, it apart. That'd be amazing to see that. Yeah. For sure. Even then, now, but especially when you're that young. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And then what happened was now, every music paper got in touch with me and said, like, one of you, you know. So I got a front page uh, cover of um, uh, Melody Maker, mm -hmm. Time Out magazine, and that was how I got into rock. My wow. My ambition was never to be a rock photographer. I wanted to be a war photographer. Is that right? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go to Vietnam. Yeah. You know, For me, that was real photography. Sure. But as I said, my influence is reportage, and I took that into rock. Mm -hmm. So all my photographs from Bob, Sex Pistols, whatever, they're studies, you know? Even on stage, they're studies. I'm waiting for that defining moment, you know? And that's what reportage is about, it's that defining moment. And that's what I was able to do. How do you know that when you see it? It's a thing they call the third eye. Mm. And you know, you know, you, you wait, you wait. And you see the thing about, again, like I say, um, I see myself, I'm like a sniper if I'm in the military, you know what I'm saying? Because you just get that one shot mm. if you're a sniper. Because if you miss from that one shot, they know where you are, then they take you out. So like for me in photography, I'm just, I'm, I'm just waiting, I'm panning, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then you might, and that's it. Yeah. Always that's it. Yeah. Always that one shot. What did you learn from Bob Marley? Ooh. <laughs> what I learned from I put it this way, I learned from Bob when I was working with the Sex Pistols, I learned how to kick down the door and take what you want. Mm. What I learned from Bob, spirituality and grounding. So when all the chaos is going on around me, when the pistols and everything else, I always kept myself together. Yeah. You know? That was what I, I really learned. That's I mean, probably not an how, easy task. Yeah, and also how to hold yourself as a black person within a, 
you know. And a lot of, you know, not just black people learn that, white people, everybody learned that from Bob. If you learn, if you listen to his music, you learned how to hold yourself yeah. and how to be present when you walk into a room and you see people and you're the only one or whatever. You hold yourself high, you just walk strong. Lion order. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah lion order. order. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. Well, you talked about clicking with Eddie, sort of clicking with Bob. Mm-hmm. What do you think that is that allows you to do that with people? Um, it's one of those things that you learn that through, again, from being around someone like Bob, and you kind of, you always know when you're next to another strong lion, mm. like-minded. You just instantly know. So you roam together, you move together. The thing also that you learn is is you don't have to hang together 24-7 because mm. you know he's there. And when the right time comes for something, you pick the phone up or then maybe, hey, Eddie, what are you doing? I've got this idea. Or Eddie says, hey, Dennis, I've got it. You know what I mean? And then there you go. You don't need to be constantly, you know what I mean, that kind of vibe. The connection continues. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's on a spiritual, esoteric level versus a physical level. Yeah. A lot of people think you got to be up in each other's face all the time in order for that friendship or that relationship to be strong. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think especially in in uh, business and we're in the business of art, mm. there's an assumption that it's that it, it's the other way, right? That everything is about a, an objective. We're trying mm. to make a deal. We're trying to finish a project, right? That everything is is sort of calculated. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's basically based like in control. For me, it's. Like as a producer, it's about control. You think you gotta have your hands on everything at all times in order for them to be successful. Yeah. But if you just kind of let go, it just works. Yeah. You, know, you let yeah. people do what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lesson I'm still learning. Yeah. So how? <laughs> how let's talk about you for a second. Uh, so how have you learned to do that? I mean, I, I get it. We're all still learning that. Well, currently today, you know, I'm doing a lot with Mugs yeah. from Cypress Hill, and you know, even though his demeanor is very big and strong, his approach is a little softer and a little bit more trusting so it's it's kind of weird when you get in, you get in a room with someone like that who's like the big lion but he's not trying to eat everything on the table all the time he's kind of just letting things happen mm-hmm. so I'm learning that touch now because you know me like I'll call you nine times in a row in the morning trying to get you on the phone because it's urgent yeah. right? even though it's not so that's kind of today's today's teacher for me at this at this point yeah but also it's like when you stress and you you know like you stress over the outcome and the outcome's not going to change but you stressed so I've seen enough of that I guess it's experience yeah and I'm also working with you too I mean I always say it like Josh is me and uh, Dennis says no this me and Josh used to work here in the marketing company and Josh was kind of the, the head of the company right and I'd always run down the office with these great ideas I got this great idea I, I in my room in my office it was the greatest thing ever but as I got closer, I start to get more, a little bit more realistic about what it really meant because I had to pitch it, and then I'd walk out of the room knowing that it wasn't the greatest idea in the yeah, world. Yeah. It was a good idea, but it wasn't the greatest idea. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you, your perspective is not the only perspective. It's funny you say that, and that's one of the things I love about you that you, uh, as much as you have a big personality and and you'll call somebody nine times, you know. You can be as aggressive as anybody I've ever met, but you also seem to learn from everybody that you work with. Yeah, and and that's big. And uh, and I think we, you know, we all we all need to pay attention to that. Mm. Very much. I so. agree. I mean, I think for me, growing up mixed. I mean, you touched on on how you 
how it was difficult for you to kind of fit in or whatever. I had the same thing. I went to private schools. I was, you know, I was one of three black kids in an all-private Episcopalian school. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't quite white enough, but I was co- the cool black kid. And the black kids, I was too white. So I think for me, I was always sponging, yeah. you know, to try to figure out what I needed to do in order to chameleon, chameleonize myself to that environment or that situation. And I kind of transferred that to business just naturally, obviously. So what is it about <laughs> that, about, you know... You not fitting in. I think you could look at Bob Marley as an example of not fitting in. Well, I think certainly John yeah. Lydon. Well, I think that the thing, that, the key to Bob really was, um, as Eddie was saying, really is that with Bob, he grew up in tre- uh, in Trenchtown. Mm-hmm. His father was white, mother black, and in Trenchtown is only black, nothing light, you know. And so when he was growing up, he got flack from both sides. You yeah. know, was never black enough, wasn't white enough. And so for me, I always say the key to Bob's success was that basically his songs were never for black people or for white people. It was for people. Mm-hmm. People who felt oppressed in every shape or form. Yeah. And that's why people gravitated to him because they could hear it in his songs, in his voice. You know, and that, that was a very unique thing about him yeah. in that way. So let's talk about the Sex Pistols. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, in in some ways they couldn't be more different than of Bob Marley, and in some ways they're obviously you know, they're yeah. both rebels. They were both, I mean, as I said, you know, I was this black kid growing up in that time, and so the Pistols basically represented the the, the, the youth of, of England, yeah. um, black or white, but there were very few black kids were into it. And so when I got hooked up with them, a lot of my friends are like, oh man, you know, what are you doing with these guys? And if I had actually listened to them, I probably wouldn't have done that, you know, what I did. And also with Bob Marley as well. If I listened to a lot of my friends, black friends as well, I probably wouldn't have been. Because, yeah. see, the thing is, what people don't realize, within West Indian society, having locks was like the lowest of low. Yeah. And so Bob came out of Trenchtown and he made it the highest of highs mm-hmm. in that sense. So for my black friends, like, you know, and people, whoa, deal with them Rasta people, you know what I mean? It was really... So a lot of it, no, as I said, like, you just have to take that road, that lonely road on your own. This well, is what you see, this is where you go. You know, what were you know? those kids into at that time? Black kids were into kind of, not really, they never, I think at that point, never really had, never really found themselves, mm. this is what I'm saying to you. And white kids that same way had really, from that same generation, had really found themselves also. But when punk came, that was what gave them that identity because the reason why, for instance, punk really gravitated to reggae music was that rock music at the time was not saying anything to them and the only music that was saying anything was reggae music. So they went to reggae, you know, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what made reggae got to the, to the level, you know, it got to. And Bob also was that messenger who had that message to deliver, yeah. which the kids, black or white, understood. Um, so that's really, you know. So how how'd you meet the Pistols? What, what was it like when you first? Well, we all we all literally all grew up together. Mm-hmm. You know, John grew up in Finsbury Park, which was like maybe a quarter of a mile away from where I was in Hackney. Um, Sid grew up in the same neighbourhood, and there were these bunch of white kids that used to literally hang out with all the sort of blues dances, you know. Mm-hmm. And we used to see them. You know, they always felt a little bit uncomfortable. But the thing is. When he went to a blues dance, again, 
didn't matter if you're black or you know if you're white and you were there you were there <laughs> you see what I mean right. and you just had to hold yourself so they but they did but they were like you know in that kind of way so when it really you know the pistols started you know making head rows and before even then you know what I mean um Virgin when they got involved Virgin um John and uh, Malcolm had said um John had seen those shots I did of Bob and said oh I want this guy to be you know to work with us take pictures with so yeah. we met and then we realized that we literally used to go to the same clubs and whatever yeah. and that's how it really came together as simple as that I don't want a holiday in a sun I want to go to the new bell sun I want to see some history something that I took off Rohan's Instagram a couple days ago. Cool. Selassie quote. It says, we must become members of a new race, overcoming petty just uh, prejudice, owing our ultimate allegiance not to nations, but to our fellow men within the human community. His Imperial Majesty, Imperial Haile Selassie I. Mm. That's pretty dope. Pretty yeah. timely, too, for right now, what we're going through as well. Definitely. Yeah. What does that say to you? I mean, it says what I'm, we're all one. Mm. You know, we're humans. We're not a race. We're not colors. No. We're not from continents. We're from a planet. And that's the universe. The, yeah, that song that Bob says, uh, "Rat race." Mm -hmm. Oh, what a rat race! You got the dog race. You got the horse race. You got the human race. And I say to people, and the people say to me sometimes, you know, they say to me, "Well, you know, who do you belong to?" And I said, "Well, you know what." I belong to the human. I'm a human being. I don't belong to any race. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm a human being, and that's it for me. The race thing, race, you know, creates that friction. Sure. Yeah, but that's on its way out. They're digging for that. That's this is the last last dance. <laughs> well, I mean, our children. You know, Justin's not going to be racist. It's just not even going to be a thought. Like. No. It, I'm hoping that it's not even going to be an idea that pops up in his head or in his... Oh, but that's because we we don't give our kids the opportunity for that, right? Because we don't present the world to them in that way. And that, that's what I'm saying. But not everybody is... You but know, there's not enough around us, the, you know. Yeah, look around yeah, the country, but around I mean, the world. <clears throat> yeah, but it's like... It's we're like, a minority. But it's like me, for instance, my life. At 18, I'm gang-banging and fucking... You know, that's the only way I know is getting over and taking more and yeah. being an asshole, right? Then you start to evolve. Evolution is, is it, we're all evolving. So whether it's in the home, but society's evolving as well. Mm -hmm. And you can see how how weird people like Donald Trump look to the general population right now. Sure, there's a whole bunch of people that are still trying to hold on to that kind of thought process. Sure. Mm -hmm. But it's real slippery and it's, it's, it's very transparent what the results are from that individually and as a society so when Justin's in office somewhere if that's what he chooses to do his whole philosophy is going to be what leads the generation after him right. there's no chance for it anymore it just doesn't make sense yeah. I mean I saw something where it said everyone's going to be brown by some year sure. yeah. because of just everyone getting together and, and being multi-race but I think but, we, but we were all brown once and then when it all right. came in with some went to the cold thing and then became lighter and lighter yeah mm -hmm. so 
So we're all gonna be just like me, high yellow, pretty soon. <laughs> See, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm the future, light skin. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, that is a universal truth, right? That we're we're connected, we are all mm. one at the same time. You know, you talked about it earlier, coming to LA, and you got to find your tribe or your clique, mm. right? That that, uh, you know in doing that you end up shutting other people out mm. right and i think that's that's also a universal truth is that we want you know we for for whatever reason we end up identifying with people that look like us or that are from the same hometown as us and we have these you know that's how sports works There's yeah people that you know they have an allegiance to a city just because they live there but also i always say i i think that as well travel is a a great great education you yeah know, when people once you leave your thing and you go to like say you know you've been brought up in LA in, in the hood as you call it and then you go to like let's say you go to China and you've been told Chinese people or whatever and you go there and you suddenly see all these people are treating you really cool and you suddenly think oh this food's actually quite nice you know what yeah. I mean? and you think like well, they're all supposed to be living in rickshaws or whatever maybe anything like you look up and think like whoa look at that building you know and you, and you, and you, you suddenly you realize that Wow, it's all been a lie, you know, and you come back in and you're like, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. and then you meet a Chinese girl and like, you know, and then you're just like, whoa, she's sweet and like, you know what I mean? Yeah, touring, you know, touring yeah. helps with that. Yeah. 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 Well, touring you know, definitely helps with that. It really opens you up, you know, when you, as soon as you step out your, your comfort, comfort zone, zone you know? Right. Yeah. Uh oh, boom. Yeah. Same time, boom. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a soda. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that that curiosity mm. uh, for, for what else is out there and, and I know for my son just you know we, we take him all around the world and try to show him that mm. our way is not the only way like you said yeah, yeah. no doubt and uh, and then we can we can borrow from everywhere yeah, yeah I mean it's kind of strange as well because you know a lot of black people what they don't realize is this when you go to Africa you may be black like an African man but you, the only thing I have in common is your skin. Right. It's culture is so much different. Yeah. You know what I mean? And once you kind of get your head around that, you know, it's you kind of realize that we are all the same. But what you have to understand is, it's the cultural thing which is different. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get your head around that cultural thing to realize that basically, this culture is how these people are. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know what I mean? And once you can accept that, then it makes you that much closer. You know, in that way. Um, a lot of people think, you know, being black and everybody's black means that it's the same. We're not the same, mm -hmm. really, you know what I mean? Skin-wise, yeah, but culturally, we're far apart. Yeah, of course. You know? And then you have to embrace that culture to learn how to live with each other. Do you yeah. still find that that curiosity uh, carries with you the way it used to when you were young? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's never gone away, you know? And, um, uh, as I grow more, then I get more curious about it all, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Check it out if you're into this one. I hope you are. Uh, let's go back into Rebel Radio archives. Check out my interview with Patrick Holick, another great photographer, came from music, making music videos, and he's got a very different journey than Dennis's, but really interesting as well. I hope you'll check that one out after we finish up with Dennis Morris. So you were talking earlier about getting um, 
you said you did quite well as a commercial photographer mm. uh and then you kind of came back to the art mm. is that well i never really left the art i mean basically okay. truly what i was doing with all the success i had as a commercial photographer i was using that money to really kind of do all these various things i really wanted to do um on the quiet as such you know so i have a huge library of of um of, um, of the images um which suddenly now everybody's just suddenly kind of um, discovering. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a body of work called Growing Up Black, and the reason for that, uh, the title of it is basically that my generation in England, we were the generation that were called black because before that we were called colored people. Mm -hmm. So that's the title of that, you know, Growing Up Black. Sure. And that work is now in the, um, in the Victoria and Albert Museum and uh, Tate Britain and um, various other museums. And then I did another body of work called um, Southall, a home from home, and that's on the, again on the Asian community, yeah. Sikhs in, um, in England. Because um, if you take the train from London and travel like 20 minutes, suddenly you're, like, you're literally like you're in Delhi. Yeah. <laughs> There's this area called Southall, yeah. which is the biggest uh, Sikh community outside of India. Wow. It's unbelievable, you know? And that's why I discovered Indian food, mm. you know? Because when I got there and I started, Wow, man, this food is sweet. You know what I mean, and that's how you, you know. Sure. And they say a lot, a lot of people say sometimes you get into a culture through its food. Yeah. You know, in that Absolutely. way. And I, yeah, and I, I learned a lot about the, uh, you know, the Indian Asian community in that way. And uh, so, yeah. Um, what can I say? Yeah. Um, what were you, as you as you got involved in the commercial work? Mm. What did you bring with you? Were you able to? How much were you able to bring that reportage and that that sort of your eye as a rock photographer into the commercial world? Um, it was always a bit different. It was always a bit difficult because um, I remember once I had to do some. I had to do a shoot with a band called The Sweet, um, and I turned up and I could hear them. Fucking, oh, it's a black guy. Is that right? And yeah, it was like they just, they were in shock, you know. But once I took the camera out and started, you know, they were like, wow, is this the future? What You know what I mean? They just couldn't believe it. So I was always breaking down barriers in that way, you know. And I, I was well aware of it through Bob as well, you know what I mean? Because Bob always said to me, you know, Dennis, you have to leave a good trail because whoever comes after you, if you leave a bad trail, you understand? So I was always aware that I had to do the best I could and better in that way yeah. in that way and it was difficult but at the same time it brought out the best out of me because mm -hmm. I, I think had it been easy I probably wouldn't have got the shots I got you know what I mean so I had to dig deep within myself to get what I got you know, in, in that way sounds like um, I mean you make it sound easy <laughs> no man anyway, anyway, yeah were Make it sound easy, but it wasn't. Yeah. Were, were there yeah. times when you thought about giving up? Oh, I used to smash my cameras. Is that right? Yeah. Because yeah. I know, I used to do shoots sometimes, I got back. And uh, for me, you know, <clears throat> my my bedroom at the, my, my parents was completely blacked out with, um, you know, dustbin lighting, mm -hmm. black plastic. So my bedroom was a dark room, mm -hmm. and I built like a workbench. So I was sleeping with 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 um, with all the chemical fumes, chemical fumes you know what I mean, inhaling it all. <laughs> and when I took wow. some shots, I used to rush back, you know, and 
getting there and you know and then got it I got it I knew you know and if yeah. it wasn't there it was like oh it'd be a mental breakdown you're like <coughs> yeah oh man it, wow yeah wow. destruction yeah yeah but it was fun <laughs> but really it was really hard um because again I remember seeing that um, film on uh, Basquiat mm -hmm. and there was that scene where he turned to Warhol and he said I don't understand why they don't understand my art and Warhol turned to him and said you have to realize in the history of art there's never been a black painter that been revered and it was the same for me you know when I ever turned up it was like Ooh, really but you know what it actually really worked for me because yeah. the beauty of it was this it never took me seriously mm. and because of that I always I ended up with I own all the rights to my work because they never wanted me to sign it because they never took me seriously yeah that's great and I was sweet with that you know because one of the key things Mr. Patterson told me he said Dennis copyright and ownership of your work is very very important so whenever they I was like okay I'm good and they said give me pay me less I'm sweet yeah. So you know what? I own everything. Wow. And uh, it, so it really worked. It really worked for me, you know. And, and I was like, I was, yeah, I'm happy with that. Sure. Cool. And just moved on. That's great. And now they see me, and I can, I know there's certain people out there thinking, never thought that fucker would do it. Jesus Christ! And he owns it all, you know. And <laughs> I look at him thinking, yeah. Well, that's that Eddie Grant lesson. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I mean, I always, uh, you know, sometimes you talk to artists or business people and what they want is to be recognized and mm. respected. Mm. And I always say, like, there's an advantage to being underestimated. Yeah. Like, I'd yeah. rather people think that guy, he's, he's nothing. We don't yeah. have to worry about him. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning that right now, too. Because you can fly under the radar, Trust right? Me, I'm learning stuff that. Done. Yeah. I learned that. I learned that with one of my businesses. I won't say who, but... You know, I'm sitting in these big boardrooms and I'm running around trying to scream who's behind it and how much money we got. And they're like, shh, right. kick back. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want nobody to see us until we already got there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess you're right. But that's a lesson. I mean, you have to, you know, it, I, I think it's only natural to say, wait, you know, pay attention to me. I'm I'm just as good as these guys, right? And, and to feel like you need that respect I yeah. think that's, that's yeah but as a marketer it's hard for us to keep our mouths closed yeah. because we're always trying to gain attention for sure garnish eyeballs or you know whatever but you know when it, in reality sometimes it's best to just shh, sit up and yeah I mean I'm always saying that to my daughter you know she's like you know I'm saying to her it's a long road yeah. you know just take your time yeah. you want to be there in 50 years time you know right because you know when it's kind of kind of weird when you look at um um, Smokey Robinson is still alive. Michael's gone. Yeah. Michael was like thirty years younger than Smokey, you know, because that trying to just keep doing another thriller, burnt sure. him out. Yeah. All those kind of things. I never forget. Um, Peter Tosh said to me once, he "said Why, Dennis?" He said, "You know, when you're a black star, you know, a bright you have to shine <laughs> to be seen. Wow. And, yeah, and that's what burns you out. You're a black star, and you constantly want to be shining. You're gonna burn yourself out." Yeah. So every now and again, as a black star, you just have to go, you see that? You know what I mean? You just come again, you see that? You know? And that's how I do it. Every now and again, whoa! What was that? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Didn't know he was still around. That's great. You know? And that's how I do it. 
That's amazing. You know, people think I'm gone, you know, and every now and again they go, boing, like, Jesus, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way you do it, man. Nice. Just come every now and again with one big one, whew, and then just chill out again. Yeah. And then come again. You know what I mean? So where do you do it? as art director at Virgin, is that right? Uh, it was Island Records, yeah. That Island? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and so was that, um, <coughs> was it hard to make that transition? You know, in in everybody's life, you can look and you can see, that was one move I made which I should never have done, really. But I learned from it, but I should never have done it. What, well, what'd you learn and why should you not have done it? Um, basically, what happened was Ireland was going through a really bad patch and I had that success from doing a working with public image I'd created a logo and did all the album covers and stuff like that and so I got a call from Chris Blackwell and uh, when he you know saw him and he said I want you to work at Ireland and I'm like mm, I'm not, you know there's nothing on the label nothing interests me mm. and he said well what is that, you, you know? And I said, well, there's this guy called Linton Crazy Johnson. I said, um, he said, I never heard him. And I said, there's this girl band called The Slits that never heard him. And he said, I'll tell you what, he said, if you I make, come to the company as an art director with an A&R capacity, you sign the bands that you like and you oversee all. Wow. And I thought, oh, that's a good gig. Yeah. And then he put down this piece of paper, the money, uh, what he paid me. And I thought, whoa, really? And I thought, well, that's a good one. So there, I took it. Yeah. So now, I had an office, and um, they said, how do you want your office? And I said, whoa, whoa, I don't want my office. So in those days, there were like three TV channels. Uh -huh. So I had three TVs, nice. you know, biggest TV you could get, one for each channel. Those were not flat screens either. Those no, were yeah, yeah, those yeah, were yeah, TVs. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, I had the biggest hi-fi you could get, stereo, yeah. yeah, and I'd just be sitting in the office all day, no workbench or anything, just smoking the weed and just getting the ideas and stuff. <laughs> and they used to have these meetings, you know, and, and I remember once the manager director said, Dennis, um, it's come to I notice that when we have our meetings, you're the only one, you never have a pen or a pen. I said, yeah. He said, well, you know, we all have pads and pens take things out. I said, yeah, but I always remember everything. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He said, but you know, we've got this album cover that you have to do. I said, yeah, don't worry about it. I've got it. I've got it, you know. And lo and behold, when time came, and I went, wow, wow, it's fantastic. They couldn't believe it, you know. But then it kind of, kind of dawned at me. They were kind of, uh, and then there was this other thing they said to me, like, um, so what company car would you like? I said, oh, company car. I said, um, can I have a Porsche? And they said, yeah. But then I realized I couldn't drive. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I couldn't drive, so. And so this Porsche was there, you know, you know. So I, had to, I said, actually, guys, um, you know, I, I've changed my mind. I said, what I'd like is if you just, so like every morning I just get a pay for a car to pick me up and you know, take me home where I want to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I had all this thrown at me and everything. But then I kind of realized now that 
what they were trying to do was mold me into this thing. They were taking away my um, my um, independence. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was totally relying on, on them. Sure. And I realized that and I thought, nah, this ain't me, you know. So I kind of just one day I, I turned around and said, um, I'm leaving. And they said, what? I said, yeah. And uh, they couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I, I, had to, I had to do it. I just, I knew I had to do it. So I walked away from it. What, what was the moment that you realized that? Well, there was all kinds of things that was happening. I mean, some crazy things was going on because I was the only black guy working, believe it or not, in Island Records, which oh, wow. was a, you know, a black, supposedly, label. Sure. And That's so there were things I, I remember started happening where, like, I'd walk into my office and say the, the stereo was over there, and my sofa's over here, and then I walk in the next day, uh, my sofa's over there, and the stereo's over there. And I, so I go to this, and said, oh, um, what, 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 my office been without? No, you know, re no, everything's fine, you know. So, okay, next time I go in, the stereo's over there, and, you know what I mean? So they were like trying to drive me mad, they just wanted me out, they wanted me out. Yeah. And I realized it. They wanted me out. Yeah. And it was a bit of like um is it Dave Chappelle, you know, when they gave him that offer and he realized that basically if he took it they were gonna own him. The trap. And I realized yeah, yeah man, because uh, they 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 gonna they gonna mess you up. So I just said, you know what? I just turned my back on it. Nobody could believe it. Yeah. No one could believe it, you know? And uh I think luckily I did do that. You know what I mean? I I'm just, I'm just went and continued what I wanted to do, you know. Sure. Um, Blackwell was furious, couldn't believe it, Jesus. <laughs> what was he like to work with? Brilliant man, yeah. absolutely brilliant man. I will say one thing, it was never him. He really, really believed in me, but I don't think he realized the people he had working within his company. Because sure. he was a Jamaican, a white Jamaican, so he was totally used to being around black people. Yeah. But the, People within a company, they just couldn't handle the fact that he was taking the, the company from being what it was, a rock company, into a black music company. Mm -hmm. And they just couldn't handle having to look up to these black artists, you know? And so it was all kinds of things. That, that was, I think, literally was a downfall of Ireland in the end, you know? What he really wanted the company to go, he never had that, in the people inside the company. That really wanted going that way, and sure. it really came, you know, with its downfall. Yeah. You you talk about uh, I've read some stuff. You talked about everybody has a mask, mm. the, the way they present themselves, and and that you're able to get past that. Mm. Huh? What does that mean? How do how do you do that? Well, like for instance, when I sometimes I do sessions. Um, <laughs> I'd occasionally, sometimes what I would do, I'd play a game like, you know, I'd be sort of, they'd be in like in a, if I'm in a studio, and if I work in a studio, I'd always set up the studio, because I always look look at it this way, that there's only one sun as such. So, with if you're outside, that one sun can give you, if you know what you're doing, every shape, form, whatever, in that sense. So if I'm in a studio, I'd literally sometimes just have one light. Mm and I'd just work at that one light. And so then sometimes I'd be, you know, playing my camera and like, like I don't really know what I'm doing, you know? And they kind of like thinking, oh, you know, seems like he's learning kind of thing, you know? Yeah. 
and then like, I like missed them out. yeah and I'm messing around and kind of stuff and then like you know and without them knowing it's like I'm doing it I'm doing shots you know and then sure. sometimes I say okay finish let's have you, you started I said yeah I got it you know like, really I said yeah over in that kind of way so so process sometimes just making people feel at ease with themselves mm. and forget about the camera because mm -hmm. the minute you start picking up that camera and start doing all that big camera thing yeah they think oh I'm being photographed got a pose. You know, whatever you know yeah. you just got to break it all down and just say hey it's just me and you you know and, and that's how it is so now I find it a real problem if I'm in a studio now, if I'm working, there's 20 people in the studio and I don't know what they're for yet. The stylist has got a stylist. Right. The makeup artist has got a, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, what, what do you, what's going on? Which then way. makes that person feel like, oh, I can't be doing this. You know, because like, well, you know, everybody's watching, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I find it difficult now sometimes to work in the studio, you know, because all the pictures I ever did back then was like, like for instance, the famous story of Marion Faithful, when I did that shot. I sit and watch the children just got the gig at Island Records they just signed her and they uh, they knew they had an album the record you know the tracks and everything but they wanted a cover mm -hmm. they tried David Bailey he couldn't get it they tried Clive Arismith they tried Atlantic, all the top photographers and I kept saying to him like hey guys now I could do this he just joined and they went through everybody so eventually said okay give it a shot so she turned up at the studio and I knew exactly what I wanted. I listened to the record and I thought, wow, man, this, this album is something special. Yeah. So I had one armchair in the studio, light. She turned up, she walked in, she said to me, do you know who I am? I said, yeah, of course I do. She said, well, you know, this is going to be the making of you. I said, yeah, I know. You know. <laughs> and she said, well, oh, you know, I must have a drink. So I said, okay, fine. So we left the studio, went to a pub nearby. And as we walked into the pub on top of her voice, she said, I'm not some cheap hooker, you know. It's going to cost you at least 200 pounds. So the guy behind the bar went, yeah, you're right, mate. You're on one. <laughs> so I said, what do you want to drink? She said, oh, I'll have a gin and tonic. So she had a, we had a few drinks. Left. Um, she said, I'm hungry. I must have something to eat. So we left, went to an Italian restaurant. She wanted tons of food. Didn't touch it. And then just overturned the table. I said, the food's terrible, the food's terrible. And then the management said, oh, okay, oh, I said, how much? I said, I'll pay for it, you know, paid it all, left, went back to the studio. And then she said, oh, I'll be back. And she went, I knew what she did. She she was on drugs and yeah. jacked up and she came out and said, I'm ready. So I'm shooting away, shooting away. And then it's like this blow up moment. She's on the floor. And I'm standing over her like this. And she goes, fuck me now, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me now. I'm going, yeah, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> and I got the shots, you know. Oh, yeah. I went back to the, rushed home, developed the film. Yes! <laughs> Printed it, took it to Ireland. Yes! Yeah. Wow. And that's how, you know. You no mask. 
no mask. Yeah. He just <laughs> broke it all down. And I always said that if I was an actor, you'd I would be a, a, a method actor. Yeah. So every artist I've ever worked in, I've got to get into that zone with them. You know, yeah. got to get into that world. You know, you know, and that's how I get it. Do you ever, do you ever find you someone you can't get into the zone with? Ooh, uh, tell you a funny story, man. Um, you too. Huh? Were desperate to work with me, and um, they kept saying, like management, like you know, Island Records saying, and with like you know, they really wanted to work with me. And I'm like, uh, I can't stand the music. I hate the music. So, yeah, but they really wanted to say, okay, okay, okay. So he set it all up, came in the studio, and he walked into the onto the background paper. And I said, you ready? And I never get it. And then suddenly, as I'm, you know, Bono went. I thought, oh fuck. <laughs> and he went, oh god. And I just said, uh, I can't do this, guys. And I just walked out. <laughs> oh wow. Here's the story now. Years later, like they're at the heights of heights, right? And they're playing um, in San Francisco baseball stadium, and uh, Oasis um, is supporting them, and I'm working with Oasis, and so I'm out there. So Oasis do their thing, and then I think word had got round that I was there. So you two come out, and I thought, no, oh, you know, I'll just check them out anyway, you know. So I just stayed. And you two came out, and so all these photographers now, you know, and I'm just like over the other side of, uh, in the corner, you know. And then, lo and behold, Bono just comes right over to where I am and going like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like he's going, yeah, here I am, and I'm going, yeah, click, 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 you know, and all the photographers are like, what's going on, you know what I mean? And he wouldn't leave me alone. He was just kept, like he was saying, "Yeah, and I'm he was like, all yeah." In your face. He's yeah, like, look at me now. Look at me now. Yeah, yeah, probably like, nobody's well, ever walked out on him. Yeah, and that was one. Um, but again, I think that's great. That is great. I was right in some ways because I think now, when you look at Bono, I think what it is for him is he re he recognizes that he's a very very successful rock artist, but he wants to be Bob Marley. Yeah. You know, he wants to be. The messenger, the savior of the world, sure. you know, in that sense. But I will say one thing about it also: he is a very, very talented performer. Sure. He, he, oh God, I, honestly, you know, but I never got it then. But yeah. he is dynamite on stage. He really gives it. But he seems like a guy who who's not going to take off the mask. Nah, he <laughs> he's very rigid. Yeah. He really is very, very rigid. Um, and the thing about it is, well, I think realistically, if you think about you two, there is not one defining image of them, mm. you know, mm. where with all the pictures I've done of uh, Marley, Sex Pistols, Marion Favor, etc., there is a defining image. There's not one shot you can always think of Bono right. or you two yeah. in that sense. Yeah. You know? um, and I think he kind of realizes that he, he wanted that. Yeah. He really, really wanted that because he knew the importance of that. And that's kind of missing in there for him, you know. So, what are you up to next? What, what's what's got you excited? Well, everything gets me excited now. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm excited being here. Yeah. Um, excited talking to you all. I'm just excited. Yeah. Still excited, you know. What's never, you? never lost that edge in that way. 
what's your next project? Well, I'm doing a show at the um, Pop Art Fair, Barker Hanger. Mm -hmm. Then I'm doing a show with um, Marion Faithful. I'm trying to bring her over, actually. Oh, cool. Um, for the show. Nice. And um, so I'm doing that in the Marion Faithful show is in November. And then I'm doing a show in actually in, in Tokyo in December on Patti Smith. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who I worked with. And um, so I'm, I'm, and I'm doing a lot of clothing as well. Yeah. Um, design all kinds of stuff oh, um, cool. I'm actually doing a line of um, glasses as well which is everyone always says to me like oh man you always wear the coolest glasses and uh, and they'll, you know so might as well make your own yeah so that's what I'm doing as well you know? oh that's great yeah, yeah. when does that come out early next year yeah 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 is that the, is that the first time you've done products in terms of glasses yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, never done that before but I'm really excited about it. I think it's gonna, people are gonna be cool. Uh, gonna really like them actually. Yeah. Cause everyone keeps saying to me, man, you should, you know, you always wear the coolest glasses. And what I basically, really what I do is, or my wife and I, we basically go around looking for frames and then we customize them, mm -hmm. you know, like these for instance. These frames, I got them in Japan. And they're actually for, um, gaming mm -hmm. but they're grandmaster game and everyone who are into games like wow man you're the grandmaster I said, yeah you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> i don't do games <laughs> but they all think like wow he's the grandmaster you're like oh, yeah yeah that's why i got him you know what i'm saying that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. and are you do you shoot young artists today i do very very little music not yeah. because i don't want to i think a lot of artists kind of get a little bit I would say scared of me sometimes, mm. you know. Um, and then I find that what basically. What do you think they're scared of? Taking the mask off. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Basically. Because yeah. nowadays masks are more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that seems like, the, you know, when you're on Instagram, it's all about the mask. Yeah. And, um, and then on top of that as well, they don't really have the control that they think they have. You know, I did a session not so long ago, I won't go into the name of the artist in Paris. But realistically, basically, this person really wanted to work with me, and I, so I did. And then basically, the record company, they turned around and said, well, we never commissioned you, they didn't want to use the pictures, blah, 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 etc., etc. And then it all went into a very sort of strange way, and I just kind of realized, oh, you know, this ain't really how it works anymore, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so realistically, it was really quite weird, really, because what happened was, the images I came up with, they just thought, well, it's not the image that we want. Right. And um, and then, lo and behold, X months later, another artist who saw those images thought, oh, I like that. And then started using the same kind of image. Yeah. You know, and, that kind of, and that same artist who I was working with, I think, realized, like, God, I was stupid in that yeah, way. Should have used it. Should have used it. You know, yeah. um, but they didn't want to go against a record company, you see. Yeah. Because they felt they did they'd probably lose their position you know yeah and so you really you're in a game and a business where you really have to stand up for what you believe in you know musically artistically you know and if you don't then you'll get molded to something that they want from you and then once that's over you're finished mm -hmm. you know if you stand up for what you want you you create your own thing you can ride it for much longer in a way yeah um, and I think a lot of these artists now they just don't you know yeah. it's all it's all record, you know, labels just do it. And a lot of creative forces now, like people like yourself, 
They're very rare. Very, very rare. And a lot of artists don't actually understand the, the need for something like yourself or like for myself or like Eddie, you know. They just don't really get that. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. And so they miss the boat, really, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a machine to the music industry. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's even even on a low level. Me and Trey yesterday went to Container Yard, and we pulled up, and you'll find this funny, maybe, maybe not. This girl's dressed in a cute little outfit with slits everywhere, and she's doing a photo shoot yeah. by herself, though. Hmm. <laughs> she's got the camera strapped to a little piece of, like, a, you know, a little street thing. And she's changing poses and moving the camera literally up against a wall of graffiti completely by herself. And I was like, wow, times have really changed. Yeah. She's the model and the photographer. Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know. Absolutely. And it has its purpose. Yeah. Not knocking it. Just right. different. It's different. Yeah. So I'd have times. to get a little lightning round. Um, so a couple of quick questions before we wrap up. What's your favorite city to travel to? Tokyo. Mm. Yeah. Love yeah. Tokyo. Me too. Yeah. Um, LA is great. I love LA as well. Sure. But Tokyo has something on another level, which is like once you're there, you once you land and you step in there, you just like you. It's like being in Blade Runner. You know, it's just like another world. You know, it's the future. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It really, you know, totally on another level. Yeah. And it basically, it 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 it's sort of it's like you just plug something into your brain you just get another poof glass mm -hmm. in your brain you just like feel refreshed you know sure yeah yeah uh well i know london has a lot of great djs who's your favorite dj dj um goldie yeah i like goldie yeah i saw you you yeah. shot him yeah yeah i think he was very very innovative very very innovative but I think the problem for him in some ways was he was ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at the music which is here now, um, you know, from grime to whatever it be, you know, um, it all stemmed from that yeah. sound that Goalie and, and his crew had created. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I always say drum and bass is like the least commercial but yet the most influential yeah. music yeah. of our time. Yeah. Interesting. What's the last great book you read? Meetings with Remarkable Men by Gurdjieff, um, which is a book which is basically, it's about, it's not about meeting necessarily millionaires, about, you might come across a, a, a guy who's a street cleaner, and you start, and you, you talk to him, and, and the stories they have to tell, yeah. you know, in that sense. Yeah. So these are, very, very, very good book. Really good book. What yeah. movie have you seen the most in your life? <laughs> Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> Cried first time I saw that. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah, it's a great movie. Sure. Great, great movie. It's got everything in it, you know? Yeah. It's got all the hanks, it's got the fascism, it's got the, you know, it's got the, the, the love story. Yeah, it, it's yeah. got it all. It's got it all. It's got the uh, escapism. Yeah. When you think about people going across the borders, it's got all that in there. It's mm -hmm. got everything in there. Great movie. Yeah, it's funny you say. I mean, I think today's movies are one or the other. Mm. It's yeah. escapist or there's yeah. or it's political or whatever, but not yeah. not all together. The hills are alive. <laughs> Tell me one decision that changed your life forever. One decision? Um, 
the day I left school and went to meet Bob Marley, yeah, that was the one that really changed my life. Yeah, not bad. Put me in a totally different space. Sure. Yeah. I told my wife I was meeting you. She said, "I don't know if Justin, if Justin, uh, our son's nine next All right, week." Yeah. She said, "If he's fourteen, he went and met Bob Marley. Yeah. Would you let him go on tour?" No one did. Well, if it was Bob Marley, I would. Yeah, yeah. but he wasn't Bob Marley then, of course. was he? Yeah, yeah, no. He was just Bob. But no one let me go. I just yeah. disappeared, man. You know, that's the thing about it. But people say to me as well, didn't Bob think it was strange for you to go? And I say, well, you know what? Coming from Trenchtown, if I was 14 and living in Trenchtown, I'd probably be packing a gun. Yeah. And I'd be looking after the family out working. Yeah. So for him, it's like, well, yeah, he's got a different. camera. It's a different thought process. You know? Sure. You want it? That yeah, culture, yeah. that cultural difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I got yeah. a lightning round question. Go. Who's your favorite graffiti artist? My favorite graffiti artist? Um, not sure. All right. If I'm going to be honest about it. Okay. Yeah. Who would you say? My favorite graffiti artist? Retina. Retina. Yeah, I would. I would agree on that. You know, so if you if you talk about. But style. I wouldn't. See, but you know, for me, retina is it's not a. It, a graffiti artist in that way. I think he's higher than that. Yeah. He's, he's evolved. Yeah. As I mean, everything else. But just keep mm. evolving, right? Yeah. But I've never really... Tell that yeah. to the owners of the hotels that he writes <laughs> on the walls in. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying, though. For, for me, it's kind of... It's it's like the highest of that art form. Got really, it. You know, in that sense. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but I know I, he's got the sensibility of it. In a sense, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good question. I might, I might add that. I might steal that from you. Right. But when it's you do, you know, let's make sure it's the Gorilla One lightning round question. Brought to you by Gorilla <laughs> One. Uh, I don't know how I would. I'm not. I'm not going to answer that question. Well, yeah, I was going to say, who's your favorite graffiti artist? Uh, Basquiat. Wow. See, big, big brain on Brad over here. He's yeah. the only person who I lose myself in his photo, in his, in his work. In his work. Yeah. yeah. That's true, yeah. But again, I would put him on the same level as Retina in that way. Yeah, yeah he's not graffiti in the way. Yeah, yeah. taking it to another level for sure. Yeah. Um, complete the sentence. I don't have talent. I have blank balls. <laughs> Damn, that's what you need. That. You need to have balls, man, to do anything that you're doing in life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So all you need is balls. So if I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? You ain't getting paid. <laughs> oh, gangster. Oh, gangster. I never got paid. That's what I'm saying to you. So if you want to be here, you want to be there, then that's what it takes. You've you got to do it for the love of doing it. Yeah. And you get paid in a different way. It's not about getting paid in cash. You're getting paid at the fact that I'm giving you the time to be around me. Yeah. And that's what everybody, you know, like with Bob, I mean, anybody like that. I never got paid. It's like, you want to be here? Well, join the, join the gang, you know yeah. what I mean? And you, you're going to get paid. Yeah. You ain't getting paid now, but you're going to get paid a long way down the road, you know? I mean, it's funny you say that because every artist got wherever they got because of the work they did without getting paid. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you name it, every single one. Yeah. Never got paid, you yeah. know? But got paid on a long way down the road. You know? I heard uh, I heard RZA talking one time from Wu Tang, and he was saying that he was said, you know, we did all this work for free for years and years and years, mm. 
and then years later you know somebody would call and we would tell we'd give him the price up front mm. he said it took him a while to realize that that changed their work yeah yeah it's truth i think he still gets his money up front though. <laughs> uh who yeah. would you be most excited to learn appreciates your work um joe public because there's an artist in england uh what's his name uh, Anyway, this guy, uh, he, he's phenomenally successful, and he's doing an interview, and they said to him, because none of the uh, museums or whatever have his work in, in their collection, and he said, I never really ever wanted to have my stuff stored away in a basement somewhere. I just love the fact that Joe Public have got my work on their wall. He yeah. said, I don't want it in a basement in, in, a, in a museum. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth in that, you know. For a long time, I, you know, the idea for me of being in uh, museums was, and whatever, you know, would, was so important. Sure. But I kind of realized that to have your work in these places, the sacrifice you have to do, because you've got to tailor it for that, you see what I mean? But when Joe Public likes your work yeah. and has it on their wall, I mean, my image is uh, expensive to buy, right? but I know what it takes for Joe Public to say, I want that shot and mm. dig deep and buy it and put it on their wall. It means a lot to me. Whereas if somebody who I know has got a lot of money, for them sometimes it's a trophy thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when Joe Public wants, you know, digs deep and buy it and put it on their wall, it means a hell of a lot. Yeah, they really want it really versus want it. politics yeah, or right move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know? You know. And I get people say, oh, I really want it, man. Um, I'm going to save up for it, you know. And they actually, you know, a year later, mm -hmm. hey, I got the money, man. You know, like, oh, great. You know, and they, you know, and it means a lot. Yeah. It means a lot. And another story, funny, was um, that famous Lyceum gig um, with Bob Marley. And I met this guy who was an, he, he was an accountant, a very succe uh, successful accountant. And he came to one of my shows, this is in London, and he bought a series of images, because he could afford it, you know, and we got talking. And I said, what are you, where are you gonna put them? He said, um, he said, well, you know, he said, um, I'm an accountant, became very successful. And he said, I've got like a, a, um, a pool room. And he said, I, I just want that. I said, oh yeah, maybe it was fantastic. He said, but you know, I've got to tell you, he said, I was at the Lyceum gig and I just left university and he said when I was at that Lyceum gig he said I knew I wanted to be an accountant he said but when I saw Bob Marley I knew the kind of accountant I wanted to be <laughs> he, 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 he got it and what he was saying was he realized he didn't have to be some stiff upper lip guy yeah, you know he just he's the creative accountant Could be himself. yeah and uh, and uh, yeah amazing so how does everybody find you online? Um, was it www.dennismorris.com? Cool. Instagram is Dennis McEvoy Morris. I see that she has to tell me what this is with my daughter because uh, I'm not very good up in all these things. You know what I mean? Um, That's I, all right. I just learned another thing. I learned how to use a phone the other day. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody laughs, you know, but it's true. I for me, it's like it rings. I answer, yeah, you know, and then I say to her, "How do you text?" 
<laughs> I do that now. I can text now, but for a long Soon time, it'll, you know, it'll do it all for you. Know, um, and um, and I still can't drive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, my wife won't let me drive. Yeah. Because you know, I used to have a motorbike, uh-huh. right? And again, it was really strange because um, for my early trip to Jamaica with Bob. And in Jamaica in those days, like all the bad men, that's what they had, you know, gunmen had motorbikes. Sure. So I came back <clears> at <throat> one point and I was like uh, 18, 19, and I bought a motorbike. And all my friends said, Black man, I ride motorbike. Yeah, this man, yeah, I drive car, man. I said, No, nah, I love my motorbike. But boy, could I sit on that damn thing. I was always forever crashing because, you know, I'd be riding along going like, oh, that's a great idea. Look at that. <laughs> Traffic in front of me stopping. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had one really bad accident. Oh. And uh, but basically, they always take me back to the same hospital. And eventually, they kept, oh, it's you again. And so eventually, they did a test. They said, you know what? You should never really drive or, you know, it's because your mind is not yeah. that way. Yeah. And to this day, my, my wife, no, nah, you, you're not driving. You're not driving. You know, you know what? We don't need more drivers. Yeah, well, okay. I, I'm, 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 I'm a visual person. Yeah. I'm always scanning things. You know yeah, what I mean, yeah, so yeah. I know if I was driving, man, I wouldn't be around them. So, sure. you know, that sense. So, yeah. Well, we need more of what you do, not more cars on the road. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Thanks for this, man. This is brilliant. Josh, it was fantastic. Really, really, um, really enjoyed it all. Love and it. Uh, you got some stories, man. <laughs> you do as well. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And Eddie, thanks for sticking Of course. Learn a lot in the room for an hour with, with people. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, come back anytime. We'd love, love to. Love to. Love to hear more. And I uh, can't wait to see the, the pop art show. Yeah. It'll be a great show. It'll be a great show. Yeah. And uh, it'll all come down. Hey, that was Dennis Morris on Rebel Radio. Thanks to Gorilla One for co-hosting with us. Uh, go back in the archives, check out all of our artwork, Rebel series. You'll see a different logo on the SoundCloud. Um, I don't know. Leave us a review on iTunes. Send us a comment on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. You can also watch videos on our YouTube page at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.